0: Thanks for downloading this episode of the Shoestring Tackle Podcast. Subscribe today to find our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Tune in and always at shoestringtackle.com. Now, on to the show. Every time we get ready to play, I just want to throw up. My office is at 250 North Washington. Anytime you want to meet me there, you call me back on the air. You tell me what time and when, and I'll whip your ass. You just witnessed something that I don't know that I've ever seen in my entire life. They just called that team the winner. And then whoa, 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 Come on back here. Didn't they call us the winner? I'm going to tell you right now, as an experience, damn it, I'm going to enjoy that one as much as I hate to admit it. Illegal contact. Senkutsu elbow thrust. Ori roundhouse lunge kick to the quarterback. Takatami time Black to the... Shoot, sure, never mind. Fifteen yards. First down.
1: The question isn't, what are we going to do? The question is, what aren't we going to do?
0: Welcome back to the Shoestring Tackle Podcast, friends. Alongside Brandon Meller, I'm Ryan Pencey. We apologize for uh, not being with you last week, but a uh, monumental life event took us away from uh, the microphones for one week, but we are back with you, and we've got a ton to cover. And Brandon, I know that, uh, that you have been, fully engaged on everything that's been going on, not only around FSU football, but also this massive coaching carousel that we've been seeing in college football for the last couple of weeks. Uh, If uh, you're just uh, maybe coming back from the moon and you haven't heard, FSU's going to be playing the Oregon Ducks in the college football playoff in the Rose Bowl while Alabama and Ohio State meet in the Sugar Bowl. The winners of those two games will meet in Dallas on January the 12th to determine the national champion in the first ever college football playoff. And Brandon, when we go back, really the last time that we had talked and and had put together a podcast, we were looking ahead to the ACC championship and FSU against Georgia Tech. And once again, it was another one of those kind of FSU games this season where Georgia Tech hung around and fought and battled. I thought this was probably the best game, though, from an FSU perspective where it was like punch, counterpunch. And FSU did what they've done all season long and came away with another victory and stamped their ticket to the college football playoff. There was really no question going into Sunday that FSU would be in. The real question was, who would get that fourth spot? Would it be a failure, a TCU? It ends up being an Ohio State. And as we start this podcast and look ahead to the college football playoff, any, uh, any feelings now after... We've had a few weeks to kind of let this digest. Did the committee get everything right? Were the seedings right? Do you, do you feel good about the four teams that made it?
1: Yeah, you know, I
0: think so. And, and I think, you know, I think, you know, it, it was interesting when
1: this kind of all shook out. You know, a lot of people had already kind of penciled in Florida State being a team that was going to be in, you know, in New Orleans. And, you know, we you know, we devoted probably 15 minutes talking about, on you know, our last podcast, about how it just kind of, uh, you could see the committee kind of just making the case for, you know, kind of being a regional thing. FSU, Alabama. You know, in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, it just made a lot of sense. Keep the seats, you know, filled. It's going to be a you know big time atmosphere. And then when this whole thing, you know, kind of shakes out, you got Florida State headed back across, uh, you know, from coast to coast, you know, just, playing the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, uh, after they did last year. And, and it's, you know, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be heavily Oregon, you know, fan, you know, fanship out there, and obviously, you know that's something that you know uh you know the the committee would would take into account and and we thought maybe it would maybe play a deciding factor they you know that they ranked these teams one through four uh based on what they did on the field uh how you know their strength of schedule played into it and uh you know whether or not they deserve to be there and i think I think it all worked out in, in the long run I think it worked out and i don't think there's too many you know, you know, too many overall, you know, outlying beefs about, you know, the way this thing went. I mean, yes, you could always make that case that Florida State probably should have been number one. They were only intended to be undefeated, but they're number three. They get Oregon. They get a month to prepare, uh, you know, for the for that high-flying Oregon attack. So I, I think all in all, it's it's a really good thing the way this thing shaked out for Florida State.
0: FSU will be facing uh, the Heisman-winning quarterback, pardon me, uh, for the Oregon Ducks and Marcus Mariota. And uh, you were there for all of the festivities and the pomp and circumstance last year, Brandon. And it takes a lot out of a quarterback. I mean, Jameis Winston was able to to fight through it and lead FSU on that last-minute drive to defeat Auburn in the national championship game. But uh, you, you can't really take away and say that there isn't an impact, not only on Mariota or Winston or whomever wins the Heisman Trophy, but also on the teammate because they're, or on the team itself because there's a lot of factors that are going into events that have to take place, commitments that take place outside of just regular practice and getting ready for game preparation. And in this situation, you're really looking ahead, and, and I'm sure that there are probably a few people on both the FSU and the Oregon staff, as well as Alabama and Ohio State, that are kind of already starting that preparation for that next game should it happen? This is no different than we when we were covering basketball at FSU. You'd find out who you were playing. You knew that there were a set number of teams that were in your regional. And if you got past somebody in the first round, you were going to play somebody else in the second round. And because there is really less time to get ready for the magnitude of these games, you've got to start making some preparations already. So you can't take anything away from what Mariota did on the field this year. He was an outstanding quarterback and what he was able to accomplish with that, the changes in the offensive line at Oregon was phenomenal this year. But how will winning the Heisman impact him when he steps onto the field on January the 1st? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And and we saw, you know, we saw last year
1: you know, Jameis Winston obviously went through the gauntlet. He was at every single award show. He was he, he was all over the place. It just was so taxing. And you know that that game against Auburn, and and who knows if this how much this played into it, but it, you remember that first half, you and re, really the entire game, if you want to get if you want to break it down, except for that last drive, he wasn't the Jameis Winston we had seen all season long, the same dominant guy who really you couldn't you know you couldn't put a you know pin in any in any sort of issue in his game. He wasn't the same, and what against Auburn, and whether or not. That was just being tired, and, and you know, being this, you know, this kind of this jet setter who, you know, that for the last month had had to be, you know, in so many different places at once. I don't know, and and I guess maybe we'll see with with Marcus Mariota because he's going through the ex, exact same thing. So you know, that's why this year, when I saw some people took issue with the fact that Jameis Winston didn't go to the Heisman Trophy ceremony as a previous winner, he could have gone and could have been there through the through the festivities. I don't blame the guy one bit for not going. If you went through all that last year and you're not up for an award this year and you don't have to be there, it's not an obligation, you know, to go to collect an award or, or you're, you know, you're you're up for the award. I'm not going. I'm resting. I'm getting. I'm finishing up school. I'm getting ready to go, uh, you know, get go play this game at the Rose Bowl and, and preparing. And you know, I, I talked to Zach Sype, you know, FSU SID to the Stars, uh, the guy who's obviously got a the, the Golden. Um. Uh, you know, Florida State has been amazing as long as he's not SID. Uh, we can do a whole podcast about that. But, yeah, you know, I, I even him, like, it's the support staff. Everybody, you know, not having to go to all these different places. Yeah, you had to go to the, you know, a couple of different awards banquets, but it wasn't nearly as crazy as it was a season ago. It's it's an overall arching thing for the entire team. Not just these guys who have to travel. It's everybody involved in this. And, and the last thing you want to do when you're worried about going to play a team like Oregon is having to be, you know, getting on airplanes and going to these you know different events, uh, up, but you want to be get prepared and out on the private field and, and in the film
0: room. Injuries already uh, starting to become an issue uh, for both teams, and some good ways, some bad. Uh, news broke yesterday, and uh, I apologize here because I know I'm going to butcher this name, but Ifo ekpre Alumu, that may be pretty close. Will not pretty play. darn close, I think. He's yeah, not, He's not going to play, but this guy is a stud quarter, cornerback for the Oregon Ducks. Losing him, it's a bad injury for Oregon. Now, granted, you'd probably, if you're H- Helfrich, you want this injury to happen, if it's going to happen at all, you want it to happen now, so you have time to prepare for it versus like a couple of days before the game. But uh, you, you can't say enough about how big of an impact this would be. This would be like FSU losing a Jalen Ramsey, lo- losing a Ronald Darby. This is a significant injury to Oregon's um, secondary. On the flip side, it looks like FSU may get Niall Lawrence Stample back for the Rose Bowl. In we have seen at times FSU at least up front has struggled trying to stop the run, and it has been a bend not break mentality. But you would love to have Stample back if you can get him back for uh, for the Rose Bowl and and possibly a subsequent national championship game. Yeah, we'll have
1: to see. You know how much he it progresses. It's that that would that would be such a, a such a boost to this team because you're gonna need you're gonna need everybody on deck. It's it's an all hands on deck kind of thing, and you know this team just has not been the same from a you know kind of an interior. You know, uh, you know, defensive linemen and, and and the you know, the requirements and, and and so many of the different things that those guys have to do in the middle. You just this team has not been the same since now Lawrence Tample went down early in the season and it's just kind of been this revolving door trying to find guys to step up and, and play alongside Eddie Goldman. Eddie Goldman's doing his job, he had a fantastic year, he's one of the best defensive tackles in the country, but he needs help. He needs that guy to be in that team you journey and roll a season and go. And and to me, the defensive issues all, all season long at all traces back to that fact that you don't have Timmy Jernigan making the defense run. And now Lawrence Stample was playing really well. Was he Timmy Jernigan? Heck no. But he was at least close, at least closer than anybody else on this roster you know, from that kind of that nose guard standpoint. So this would be huge for Florida State. It's also huge for Eddie Goldman's spot. Remember, he went down in the ACC championship game. He's going to be ready to go. Ronald Darby went down in that game. He's going to be ready to go. So, uh, you know, it's kind of an opposite thing here where, you know, Oregon loses an All-American, Florida State's getting healthier. And, and again, you're going to need as much help as you can get. So this, this, is, uh, this is some good news for Florida State.
0: Uh, also some good news for Florida State. A couple of big things coming up uh, from a recruiting standpoint that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about. Number one, what many would say is the number one recruit prospect in the country, and this is somebody that's up in your neck of the woods right now from Chesapeake, Virginia, Josh Sweat. He committed to FSU uh number 1 defensive end defensive tackle you can you, you call it whatever you want defensive lineman he is right there at the top of the list um did suffer an injury this season so it'll probably be a few months before he actually is stepping onto the field in any type of full participation this spring but he, this is a huge get and the rich get richer here once again for FSU and, and i think back about you know some of those years Brandon when we were there and it was there were still some big-name guys. Let's not take anything away. M- many of them never panned out to be anything. You know, for every five-star recruit like a Xavier Lee and a Fred Rouse, you know, they they were just busts. But you were getting it still at the time. Even a Myron Roll, I, I would say that he underperformed for what he, he he came out of high school as. I mean, what Jimbo's getting right now, though, I mean, these are guys that can step in and play right away. We've seen that now in the last couple of seasons. And then he's turning these guys into NFL pros. And as long as you continue to do that, you're going to continue to win these recruiting battles and you'll continue to be successful. I guess the the question becomes is at what point in time, and you've covered recruiting longer probably than anybody I know, at what point does the pendulum start to switch where you get too top heavy? We've seen that happen at USC. We've seen that happen at Florida. We've seen that happen at some other programs. What is that delicate balance? Yeah, I, I, that's a really, really good question because
1: Florida State has done not only done such a good job of bringing in elite four and five star guys, and let's just say what it is: recruiting rankings matter. I, I mean, look at the teams that are in the college football playoff. It is the four teams that recruit, you know, four and five star guys that these other, you know, some of the other programs aren't getting. The, most of the time, recruiting rankings live up to kind of what these kids wind up to be. Yes, you're going to have misses. You're going to have guys who are two stars who turn out to be, play like five stars, You're gonna have five stars who turn to play like two stars. But for the most part. You know, kind of generally speaking, and a kind of overarching, you know, kind of theme. Four and five stars, getting these guys mattered, and that's all that Florida State get. So, you know, now, you know, a couple years in, you know, obviously, you know, you you got this train rolling, and and you're you're working on your third, fourth, and you know, season or so where you're going to finish with the top five class, maybe even finish with the number one class this year, uh, and that doesn't even count like 2015 class. Is going to be an all timer if it continues the way it's going, that's that's a, another topic for another time. But uh, I think we're going to start to see here pretty soon. You're going to start to see some attrition from guys uh, on this roster who came in as big, you know, big time guys, and who are just frankly not getting the playing time because there's you know there's too much talent. Uh, you know, I, I mean, perfect example I can think of right off the top of my head is a guy like Ryan Green. Ryan Green comes in; he's one of the top running backs in the country. A couple years ago, has not made uh, you know a, a single bit of, of, of impact on this roster. And, here, you know, here's a guy who, as a sophomore, was expected to contribute. He battled injuries. He, Dalvin Cook comes in. Boom. Dalvin Cook is is your feature back for the next two full seasons, you know, until he jumps in the NFL. So, I, I mean, that's just a, a, a one example of kind of these different areas where you're going to potentially start losing guys to, to transfer. And not to say I don't know anything. I don't know if he's going or not. But I'm just saying these are, you know, th- there's going to be a, a time here pretty soon where I think you start to see Florida State losing, you know, losing some of these guys because they're not getting playing time. They can go play elsewhere. So, uh, but hey, there's nothing you can do about it. It, it. It's not, you know, it's not like Jimbo and, and Tim Brewster and, and and the rest of the coaches are are saying, you know, we probably should start slowing down. We we don't need so many of these four or five star guys because we have we have a lot on the roster already. No, they're going to keep going and get these guys and bringing them in because you know, for every Josh Sweat that you get, uh, you know, there, there's going to be some bad news that pops up. Like look look what happened yesterday. Florida State lost a long time commitment from DJ Jones, who was the number one you know JUCO player in the country, and he was he's a defensive tackle. He's an immediate need kind of guy. He's probably been a starter. Uh, next year they lose him to Ole Miss. So, uh, you know this this whole cycle is crazy. So keep loading up if you're Florida State and and you kind of sort it out as you get there. So, uh, if if you follow this stuff though, you can tell and and you can see and you know that the Florida State is still in the mix for some big time players. So uh, we'll see how this thing plays out over the next month or so.
0: Do you think the success that Jimbo and company have had in not only placing guys who have gone through the program with Jimbo into the NFL and the success that they have had at the next level is an entirely different episode. You know, we could talk about Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel. You could even go back and talk about Jamarcus Russell and others. That, that, that's for another time. But the bottom line is these guys are going. They're making money. They're being drafted in the first round. And a lot of times they're getting their opportunity to start in the NFL. When you look at this class yeah. that's coming up, I'm just looking down the list here. You've got guys like DeAndre Francois, quarterback, out of IMG Academy. you got DeAndre Johnson, quarterback, out of First Coast. you got Kyle Oxley, quarterback, out of Baltimore, Maryland. I mean, you've got three guys that are coming in that are big-time recruits. Nobody would question that. Well, you've also got a stable of guys behind Jameis that are kind of itching for it. Is maybe part of the pitch, You know, and we're not there, we don't have any idea, but, but you're seeing it at a different level, even when coaches come in to talk with your brother, that there are, you know, there are ways to talk to recruits about how you can really develop them into the best player. And whether it is a Jacob Coker or a Clint Trickett or others, even if they haven't made it in the FSU system, it seems like Jimbo has gotten them ready to be able to immediately go out and play somewhere else. Now, granted, Coker didn't play this year at Alabama, and he got beat out, but I would anticipate Coker's probably going to get his shot again next year at Alabama to lead what will be another just stacked team. So whether it's at FSU or somewhere else, we're not seeing the bus that we used to see probably back in the mid-2000s. Yeah, uh, you're, you're exactly right. And and you know
1: that's the thing, too, is that Florida State, well, ultimately, it comes down to two things of Florida State. First and foremost, above all else, is that Jimbo Fisher and and the the staff he has around him. And this Tim Brewster is uh, I you cannot say enough good things about him from as a recruiting standpoint as a coach. I mean, look he just you know look what he's done with Nickolaiary. Uh, he's but recruiting is where he really makes his mark. And what these guys do, they make these these players and and not only the players, it's mom, it's dad, it's the families. They make, they make them feel comfortable. and They make them feel like they're part of something special and part of family. So that's why when Jim Fisher goes up there and he defends Jameis Winston and, you know, takes some heat for being a guy that maybe some people look at as man, he's he's kind of an enabler. He's you know he's doing he's doing this and doing that. And he's not, you know, maybe being somebody who, you know, kinda kinda you know needs needs to call out Jameis or for whatever reason. No, he's standing up for his players. These recruits notice that. They see, you know, when when the head coach is willing to go to bat for his players and, and, and views him as son. So you got that aspect where mom and dad are so happy that they're going to send their son to to a place where they know that you know the coach is going to be on top of everything they do. He's going to know what they're up to. Then you got the maybe something that's equally as important. Florida State is a proven track record under Jimbo Fisher of playing the best players. And whether you're a fifth year senior or you're a rookie right out of high school, you're going to play if you're the best player. I mean, look look at guys like Jalen Ramsey and, and, and Dalvin Cook are two superstars in, in the world of college football now. They're playing since they were true freshmen. You know, these are guys that came in and beat out guys who have been on the roster and who were really talented players. You're going to play if you're the best. So if you're one of these couple quarterbacks or you're, you know, you're a guy who's on the roster and Jimbo and his staff is saying, look, it, just come and practice. And if you're the best player, you're going to play. I don't care. It, you know, and, and I'm sure he would say the same thing. If Jameis was coming back, he'd say, hey, if you come to practice and, and work hard and you're better than Jameis, you're going to play. Uh, so that's obviously a huge thing. Uh, in the world of recruiting and it's a reason why Florida state is doing so well because they can pitch these things and, and you know every you know you know every coach says it I, I i'm seeing it firsthand kind of what the recruiting process is like from an in, you know from an inside thing and it's very different from obviously the d1 level uh but it, yeah they're going to tell you what you want to hear now if you go out there and you're a coach and actually back it up and and, and let your you know kind of what you said you know when you' were making those in-home visits or when, when the recruits are on campus if you go out there and back it up man these recruits take notice that's exactly what's happening at Florida state
0: Well, and Fisher's about to get rewarded for it, and uh, credit where credit's due, Warchant.com reporting FSU is uh, in the final stages of of locking up Fisher for the long term. Doesn't uh, get into specific details about uh, what the the actual numbers are going to be, but it does uh, pretty much say that he will be one of the highest-paid coaches in college football, and deservedly so. I mean, you've won a national championship. You've taken your team back to the Final Four, essentially, with another another opportunity to win another, you have a loaded recruiting class once again. And I think FSU and the administration, especially under this new regime with, with John Thrasher, wants to make sure that there are no question marks as to whether or not Fisher is going to be there long term. Now, what some of the fine print says, you know, who knows? Because I, I would assume that, you know, Fisher and, and his agent aren't going to lock themselves into FSU forever. I mean, we've even seen with Jim McElwain at Colorado State, he got out to go to Florida, which was a what he would quote as a dream job, and they had to pay, they paid a lot of money to get out of that deal, but 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 they got out. And we've always said that whether it was LSU or or some other job, you know, Nick Saban's not going to coach at Alabama forever. You tell me that uh, that Jimbo wouldn't want an opportunity to really walk into what potentially is the best job in the SEC and take over that power. I mean, there are jobs. Let's not let's not fool ourselves here. There are jobs and challenges that, uh, that present themselves that could be enticing, as well as something that we never really have heard Jimbo talk about very much, but that's professional football. Would he ever want to try and challenge himself to that? And there is the old school mentality and thought that, you know, here is Jimbo. He could go out and try and become, you know, one of the greatest all-time college football coaches ever. Maybe try and amass four, five, six national championships over the course of his career, or does he become like a lot of these coaches and y- you feel that sense of accomplishment? You have done it. You have accomplished what your goals were at that level, and now you want to try something else and, and push yourself to to succeed and, and be better again. Those are the outlying questions, and, and I'm not saying that I think Jimbo's leaving anytime soon, but when you've had the success that he has had as quickly as he has had it, you know that there are other, programs and professional outlets that have a very keen eye on Fisher's next move. Absolutely. I mean, I, all I can think about is the, the Teddy G, KGB quote from Rounders: "Pay
1: that man his money. J, pay Jimbo back the brink's truck up. Pay him any dollar amount you, that he wants because what he has done for Florida State and, and you know you know the rest of college football. You know the the the, the you know the power brokers, the decision makers. They're well aware of what he's doing. You don't go out there and win you know as many games as Florida State has won in a row and is churning out NFL talent at a, an insane rate." I mean, look, just uh, whatever. If everybody listens to this podcast, knows exactly what Jimbo Fisher has done. He has completely brought Florida State football back from the depths of 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 just absolute and just horrible mediocrity to the top of the mountain. And it, it, you know, Florida State is right there with Alabama, right alongside Alabama now, as far as the toast of college football. And, and he's done that at a place that didn't always have the best resources, It wasn't always a place that you know many people thought could compete with SEC. Uh, but Jimbo Fisher came in. His plan has gone, you know, exactly the way he wanted it to do, and, and, yeah, he he's deserving of every single dollar amount he gets. You know, he's going to look out for his assistants, I'm sure. You know, there'll be raises for all those guys because they've done a heck of a job, too. So, uh, you know, it, it, as somebody who lived through so many down years of Florida State and, and and you were right there, too, and we, you know, live in Tallahassee, just to see the, you know, the, not only the change, you know, from a facility standpoint, and from a school standpoint, and just overall morale of uh, of the of the student body and the fan base, but the Tallahassee community. I mean, my God, like just just the amount of uh, you know the, just just the re, you know just everything that has happened it's like been this big you know this it's like uh, you know just adding to to what is around in the community and and you know, entertainment. It, it's just it's amazing what has happened over the last several years. It is all tied back to directly the fact. That people want to be around this program, they're not hiding anymore. Uh, you know, they're willing to spend their money to come out, and and that's all on Jim Fisher. You I, I, you know, I, you're not going to find a bigger Jim Fisher fan than me as far as uh appreciating what he has done for for that community and a community that you know, I, I you know, I, I in many ways I grew up and went to college there, lived there, raised a family there before moving away, and you know, you, you just owe him a ton, and that's why I say give that you know, pay that man his money, he's deserving of it all, and uh, you, you want to keep doing it, to stay competitive because as we've seen, you see the rumors about. Michigan, you know, potentially paying Jim Harbaugh, you know, uh, an insane amount of money. You know, teams are gonna, you know, these these big time programs, they're gonna pay and they're gonna pay to get the best guys in there and, and you know that Jimbo Fisher will always be uh, you know, kinda of in the forefront of some of these uh you know potential decisions for, for these big time power brokers in college football.
0: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing to me is this wasn't like Jimbo walked in and FSU was ready to win. I mean, when he came in and was brought in it was a last ditch effort in a lot of ways to save Bowden's legacy at FSU. You know, if you remember back, we were coming off of losses to teams like Wake Forest on a regular basis, you know, a, a fan base that had just had enough. And whether Terry Bowden or, or orchestrated it behind the scenes or whomever, when Fisher was brought in and Rick Trickett was brought in and Lawrence Dossie was brought in and Dexter Carter was brought in and whomever else. These were big time hires. And for Fisher, in some ways, it was a big time risk. You know, he never knew if the coach in waiting was going to pan out and work out for him. You know, certainly hasn't at other places. If it had, James Franklin would probably still be the coach of Maryland right now. If it had, Will Muschamp may never have left Texas. He may be the head coach there right now. But for Fisher, it worked out. But he had to completely gut what was. A lot of, I guess you could call it old school, and I don't want to knock in any way what Coach Bowden did for FSU because he put us on the map. But Jimbo has then kind of recharted all of the courses on the map too by instilling kind of this whole new philosophy about how things were going to be done and really gone out there and instead of looking at just recruiting rankings, which I think that previous staff would be guilty of, when Chuck Amato was going down to South Florida to get talent, he was just chasing numbers. It didn't mean that these guys were right for the program or right fits or, or, or players that could step in and play. These guys were just people like, hey, they're a five-star. We've got to have them. Case in point was Fred Rouse. You know, Fred Rouse they got because they had to get him. He was a five-star recruit in Tallahassee, and at that point in time, people would say, if you can't even lock up this guy who's in your backyard, how can you go get anybody? But Fisher and his staff have been out there just uh, uh, hammering wherever these guys are, perfect fit guys for the program to make them competitive and make that win. And I think that's what really stands out here. And, you know, we look at all these other programs, Brandon, you look at Pittsburgh and Wisconsin and Nebraska and Florida and Oregon State and Michigan. There are programs out there that are right now are desperately searching for direction, and they are hoping that they could find a, a, a fisher. Essentially, that's what they're looking for. When, when Florida went and got McIlwain, they, they're hoping that he is a fisher it can turn that program around.
1: You're exactly right. They want consistency. And that's, that's been the biggest thing is uh, the number one trait you can, you can trace back to Jimbo Fisher is consistency. He, you know what you're going to get. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs for sure, but you're going to, you're going to have a consistent product. They're going to consistently hit on recruiting. You're going to miss guys from time to time, but their evaluations are going to, going to more often than not, you know, be, you know, what, what you expect these guys to be. It's, it's just, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's living proof that the Nick Saban tree, uh, is, is insane, is incredibly valuable, but, but you also have to be your own person. And, you know, you, you know, you just got to give Jimbo Fisher a ton of credit. And, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> if you're a Florida State fan, you hope that the Jim McElwain hire is not mirror, you know, the, what Jimbo Fisher has done at Florida State, but obviously the, the pedigree is there. The background is there. He, he, is gonna be able to go into that job and see exact, you know, it's you have real life example of the way to do it. Just look two and a half hours to the northwest, uh, where Jim Fisher has 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 put his plan in place perfectly. So, uh, yeah, pay pay the guy. It, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you you never know how these things are gonna play out. And Jim Fisher had to had to really tread lightly and, and had to navigate some serious landmines going from being you know Bobby Bowden's offensive coordinator and his protege and a guy he looked up to. Being the guy who replaced the legend after the legend was pushed out, and you know that could have that could have seriously backfired and potentially sent Florida State on on uh, on a on well not sent them on they were already on a downward spiral but could have never brought them back from it. you've seen you know you know programs never be able to recover from, from the glory days. look at look at Miami they have they are still. Trying to find some semblance of what they used to be, and it's just kind of this continual, continuous downward swirl where you don't get anything, you know, positive out of it. So the fact that he, Jim Fisher was able to navigate all of that and keep the ship not only steering in a, in a, you know, in a, in a certain direction, but also in an upward trajectory, is, is worth any amount of money you want to pay that guy.
0: Let's jump in here real quick before we wrap things up and talk about some of these coaching changes. Currently, as we record this podcast on December the 18th, Michigan is without a head coach. You mentioned there's been speculation out there that a huge offer was made to Jim Harbaugh to leave the San Francisco 49ers and return to his alma mater. Uh, that has not yet taken place. Uh, the University of Pittsburgh, still without a head football coach. Colorado State, still without a head football coach. But this the whole thing kind of got moving when McIlwain accepted the, the coaching job at Florida. They paid the $7 million buyout out of a combination of a couple of different paychecks, brought one from Florida, one from McIlwain, and then a guarantee game. And then things started to get a little bit crazy. Nebraska names Mike Riley, who leaves Oregon State to come to Nebraska. Shortly thereafter, uh, Oregon State plucks Gary Anderson from Wisconsin to come and take over that job. And then as recent as yesterday, Paul Christ leaves Pittsburgh to go to Wisconsin. Now, I've got two questions here. Number one is, of all of those names that I just mentioned, who you think is going to be the most successful and the quickest? Number two, I'm seeing a big trend here. We've got issues in what I would consider the Midwest, Pittsburgh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Michigan. Has the tide turned to a point now where these programs may be in more of this kind of repetitive cycle for in the upcoming years of trying to find football coaches, because there is such dominance now in the state of California, Florida, and in Texas.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, as long as you're as long as you're one of these programs that's not winning titles and is not even competing for them and is not consistently getting you know the recruits out of the proven you know areas that produce the best players in college football and in the NFL, you're going to continue to to be in the same position where you're constantly looking for a new head coach, and and that's just kind of the. The way it is until you find somebody who can come in. I and mean, you know, you know, Bo. You know, Nebraska thought when they got Bo Pelini, they were like, "Oh, hey, here's a guy coming from LSU. He's gonna, he's gonna, you know, this is gonna be great." And and you know, for a variety of reasons, it didn't work out. And uh, you know, there, there's just there's just no guarantee that these things are always gonna play out the way these administrators think they're going to do. And until they find that guy, that's again why Florida State is so lucky that they found that guy on the first try, uh, and and why he's deserving of the money. Uh, you know it's, it's impossible to compete with these programs you know in the south and uh, you know that can that have these recruiting areas in their backyard and 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 have great coaches. It's just impossible to compete against that so until you find that guy can lead that lead that charge you're going to cons- consistently be kind of waddling in, in mediocrity so now here comes the part where if you listen to this podcast, turn it down because I'm about to tell you that I think Jim McElwain is going to have the the biggest success early on because it's Florida. They're going to continue to recruit well. He's going to come in with a plan. He's obviously a heck of a coach. He, you know, he has an idea- offensive identity, uh, which you know Florida has not had for quite some time. You know they're going to continue to get defensive players because there's so many defensive players to go around, uh, you know, in the state of Florida. And, and Florida State can't sign them all. They can't all, all go to FSU. They can't all, all go go to Alabama. Uh, you know, Florida's going to continue to be an attractive option. He's going to he's going to get those offensive guys too. And I I fully anticipate you know Florida you know being being right back in this thing. Uh, before it's all said and done, because this is just a, this is, you you can't, you can't miss uh, you know, you you just, you feel like you can't, they can't miss two times in a row with the amount of resources and what they can do with recruits uh, down
0: in Gainesville. Before we wrap things up and this is the final thing, will we see Miami relevant again? I I, I
1: don't, I don't think so as long as Al Golden's there, because I just don't think that he has, I, I think he's a good I, it just doesn't seem like he has the support around him. You constantly see guys who are associated with the program, you know, kind of bad mouthing him. I mean, look, Uncle Luke of all people, you know, the the ambassador of the pro, unofficial ambassador of the program. You know, the guy who who's kind of the mouthpiece for the University of Miami. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't like him. You, you don't see a ton of former players kind of rallying around the way they used to. Remember, remember it was such a huge deal to be a part of the U and, and Florida State. You know, we we lived it. We were there. Where Florida, people were so kind of kind of they did not understand why former FSU players didn't want to come back around the program well I, I'll tell you why they don't want to go around a, a loser you know I mean that's your alma mater that's where you played you want to be remembered for the great times well when your team sucks you don't want to be around it so that's exactly what's happening in Miami right now and it just doesn't seem like he has the support from fan base whatever fan base there is uh, from the former players and then from administration and, and, and the amount of resources they want to dump into that program so I I don't see how only thing's going to get going anytime soon with, with, with the University
0: of Miami. Yeah, and I think facilities is the other big thing. I think that's finally catching up to them yep. because the guys that you know longed for the days of being the next Ray Lewis or Warren Sapp or or any number of guys in Miami. Now you can go somewhere else and you can still go to the pros and you can still have that swagger and you can play in beautiful brand new facilities or you can go to Coral Gables and play in a dump. I mean that's just the bottom line. You're playing in an NFL stadium, yep. but other than it, we've seen pictures. It's always kind of the running joke. Nobody shows up to those games. There's no atmosphere there. And so unless they make the decision, which I think would be a good one, build like a 45,000-seat stadium near campus or, or, or somewhere else centrally located down in South Florida and let them play there and, and actually have an environment because they don't have one right now at Sun Life. Maybe once every two years when FSU rolls into town, but that's it. And uh, that just jogged my memory from watching the second part of the U, uh, that was on thirty for thirty this past weekend. That I, yeah, I just don't know. I, I don't know that we're ever going to see it again. Back to what it was in the eighties and the nineties with that rivalry between FSU and Miami, and, and, and the rivalry will always still be there. But that competitive edge, where really either team could win one week to the next, I just don't. I don't think that Miami has that right now. Maybe they will again, but. Uh, I, I think you and I, Brandon, both agree it's, it's in the long-term future. That's, uh, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Shoestring Tackle Podcast. Again, appreciate uh, you guys sticking with us in our uh, what we'll call our bye week. And uh, we'll be back again with you uh, at some point over the holidays to get you ready and for a full game preview of FSU versus Oregon, as well as Alabama against Ohio State. Two huge games. Maybe we'll pick out a couple bowl games here and there, too, that really spark our interest. And on the next episode, we will also break down, uh, what are the best bowl gifts that are out there? Uh, the, the big list is out once again. And, uh, for those that don't know these players, coaches and administration are often treated to a treasure trove of free gifts when they uh, roll into one of these bull towns so you can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Meller. you can follow me at Ryan Pincey hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of the shoestring tackle podcast we will be back with you again next week until then happy holidays and uh, we'll talk to you soon